I'm on now, so people can hear me. Awesome. Well, it's a privilege to be here. FOI, this is a cool place. You guys look like cool people. Uh, I know a lot of you, some of you I don't know, but I'm excited to get to know you. Uh, but Andrew just invited me to come in and to share a word from the Lord. And so I'm excited to do that. This book has transformed my life. And he said that I can preach whatever I want to. Like he said, it's like just free reign, wherever God's showing you something, just have at it. And so I'm very, very excited. We're going to be in the book of Malachi. And so you're like, oh man, where is that? It's the last book in your Old Testament. And so if you got a book, if you got a Bible, something like this, you can open there. And we're going to be camping out there. Uh, it's an awesome book and it's a timely book for where we're at in society today. Uh, I know Andrew's been preaching through the book of Nehemiah, right? And so Malachi, he's actually a contemporary to Nehemiah, which is really interesting. We, we kind of forget how all the Bible pieces together in terms of like a timeline. Uh, but this would be what scholars consider the, the post-exilic period. And so this is after Israel is coming out of exile, right? And so this is around 400 BC. So 400 years before Jesus Christ comes on the scene. And what's really, really cool about the book of Malachi is that it's the, the last word that God speaks up until the, the, the New Testament, right? Uh, God speaks this, this message to Israel, and then he goes silent up until we see the prophecy that he speaks in the book of Malachi. It, it, it comes to fruition with John the Baptist paving the way of the Lord and, and Jesus Christ coming onto the scene. And what's really, really cool about this is that, you know, it, it's a warning to a religious and indifferent people before Christ's first advent, right? And I don't know if you've assessed the state of the church today, uh, but it is religious and, and, and indifferent, right? A lot of times we refer to, to the church as lukewarm. It's not hot and it's not cold. Uh, a lot of us, we refer to a Laodicean church. You'll hear that terminology uh, quite a bit. And so, you know, while this is interesting, hearing God speak to, to the nation of Israel 400 years before Christ, as we consider this, as we consider ourselves as a sobering reminder for us, uh, as we anticipate his second coming, right? Uh, as we consider the state of the church, man, we're religious and indifferent and Jesus is coming back, y'all, right? Amen. And so as we consider what God is saying through the book of Malachi, it becomes very, very pertinent to us. And so Malachi, his name in Hebrew, it literally means the messenger of the Lord. And there's a strong theme that we're going to track through, well, I guess we won't track through the whole book of Malachi. If we could, if I had your attention for like six hours, I think we could do it. I think we could do it, uh, but we don't. But you see this theme throughout the entire book of Malachi is a theme of messengers. And we can't ignore the fact that, that God has called us to be messengers as well. Right? He's called us to be ambassadors, to be witnesses of him just like Malachi. And so we, we get to be challenged by Malachi and his boldness because this book, y'all, it's not like, it's not light, right? Malachi is laying in to, to Israel, right? This is a hard message to give and it's a hard message to re receive uh, because, you know, God is launching these accusations uh, against Israel. He's exposing their shortcomings uh, and he's calling them out and calling them to repentance. And so, again, it's something that we can learn from as messengers. This is the same work that we've been called to. And so in chapter one, uh, really just to, to give us a little bit of context before diving into chapter two, it starts with God establishing his love for Israel. It's like 
it's probably the most beautiful way that any book in the Bible starts. He says, I have loved you. I have loved you. And then he maps out and he proves his love to them. He, he goes back all the way to the origin of the nation. And he looks to the example of Jacob and Esau. And he gives this contrasting comparison of these two individuals who represent two different nations and shows his grace and his favor and his love for Israel from that beginning to where they're at right now. It's awesome. It's awesome. And then we move into verses 6 to 14. And God's like, okay, I told you I love you. Now it's time for spanking, right? Then he just starts laying in on them, y'all. It's crazy. And so he says, he calls the, the priesthood out in particular. And he says that, that they took his name in vain. And he explains to them that they, that they dishonored God's name through their sacrifice, through their sacrifice, right? Through, through their worship. They, they, he said it's polluted. It's a broken system of worship. Because instead of them bringing their best to God, they're bringing God their leftovers. And, and they're calling it worship. They're calling that sacrifice. Their leftovers, that, that's not sacrifice. And, and so God points out that their governors, their, their earthly governors would never receive the sacrifice that they're offering. So how could God, a, a God of heaven, receive that, that, that sacrifice? He, he was so blown away by it, right? And he addresses the importance of a heart posture in worship. He's so much more concerned about obedience rather than sacrifice. He's so much more concerned about the why than the what, right? And so he uh, was just so torn up about this. And he told them he, that he'd rather them just stop sacrificing altogether than to continue in the way that they're doing it. Because the sacrifice to the Lord meant something. The, the sacrifice, this spotless lamb is representative of his son who was going to come and die for the sins of the world. And for them to disgrace that, it, it was just disrespectful, right? It, it was horrible. And so he ended chapter one by giving them a warning of a promised curse. He said, hey, I'm going to curse you if you continue to take my name in vain like this. So it's very, very sobering. And this is the context that we're entering in to chapter two. You guys are like, man, I don't know if I can take this. This is rough. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so uh, we ought to take, I mean, just from recap from chapter one, man, we ought to take worship seriously, right? We ought to take it seriously. We don't want to be guilty of worshiping in vain. And this is something, anybody that attends Kaya, man, Uriah kind of hinted on this on Sunday, right? Uh, he desires our obedience rather than sacrifice. Uh, and in reality, he, he wants our hearts and for us to give him the honor that's due his name. And so in chapter two, he's gonna to continue to lay into the priesthood. So we can be excited for that. Um, and he's gonna to continue to be concerned uh, about his name. That's another kind of theme that we see through the whole book of Malachi's relationship between God's name and God's people. And so uh, really before we dive in, I wanna establish one other thing. So we, we established that we're messengers, right? And that Malachi is a messenger and that's a theme that runs through the whole book. Uh, but did you know, this is a hot topic that we're also a priesthood, right? We're also a priesthood. And so this message is addressed, if you can't tell by, by this, to the priest, he's calling out the, the, the priesthood. And if we study our Bible, uh, we can come to passages in 1 Peter chapter two, uh, and we can see that, that we're a holy priesthood and that we're this, this royal priesthood of believers, right? 
We can go to, to places like the, the book of Revelation, uh, which, you know, uh, attests to that, reiterates that point. And we can even go through the Pauline epistles and see that principally throughout the Pauline epistles that, that we're part of this priesthood. And so as God is launching these accusations against the priesthood, inspirationally, man, we're like, oh man, we're, we're part of the priesthood as well. And so we should be learning from their mistakes, right? And what makes us a priesthood, this is awesome, y'all. What makes us a priesthood is that we have direct access to God. That's huge. That's something that we take for granted. We have direct access to God. And we're able to offer him sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices and offerings. That's what priests do. And so we're able to partake in that. And so this is kind of the, the devotional takeaway. Again, we're reading something that was written 400 years before Jesus Christ. And y'all, it's so applicable to our lives. It's exciting. The Bible is the, the craziest, coolest, most incredible, awesome book that you could ever like spend time with. It, it's incredible. And so you guys are in Malachi chapter two, right? Let's start by just reading. So verse one says, and now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. And so first, we can't miss that he's not talking to atheists. He's not talking to the secular world. He's not talking to, to those without, uh, you know, he's talking to the religious people. And not just religious people. He's talking to the religious rulers of their day, right? So this is a pertinent message. He says, if you will not hear... And if you will not lay it to heart to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already because you do not lay to heart. Um, behold, I will corrupt your seed. Y'all, this is crazy. And he says, and spread dung upon your faces. See this Bible, it's wild, it's crazy. <laughs> spread dung upon your faces. Even the dung of your solemn feasts, and one shall take you away with it. And so he begins by just calling them to listen. Oh, ye priests, this commandment is for you. And he says, if you will not hear, if you will not lay to heart. And so, y'all, we have to hear the commandments of the Lord and not just hear it. We have to lay it to heart. And we see that Jesus is constantly reiterating this through the Gospels, right? Uh, we see him and... Matthew, Mark, Luke, I don't know if it's in John, but he's constantly saying, hey, those that have ears to hear, let them hear. Those that have ears to hear, let them hear. This is a problem with hearing. And it's not a physical problem of hearing, right? People can literally hear, but they're failing to lay it to heart. They're failing to apply the words that they're hearing to their lives, right? Uh, it's this process of knowledge that doesn't actually interfere with our daily lives and get lived out. And man, so often, man, so often I am guilty of that. So often we are guilty of that, right? We can take this transactional approach to the Bible and read in the morning out of obligation. And man, I wonder how many of us remember what God taught you this morning. Nonetheless, lived it out, right? And so, so God's saying, hey, Israel, listen up. I need your attention. I need you to give glory to my name. I need you to give glory to, that, to my name. And he says, I'm going to give you a little incentive to give glory to my name. Because if you don't give glory to my name, then I'm going to curse you. And he says, actually, I've cursed you already because you've failed to give glory to my name thus far. And so our key point number one is that God expects you to give glory to his name. 
God expects you to give glory to his name. And some of y'all are like, man, that's the key point number one. That's obvious. Why are we wasting our time with this? No, this is a big deal, y'all. This is why he's coming at the priest next, right? He's like, y'all haven't been giving glory to my name. And so for us, the, the sole purpose of the Christian's life is to give glory to God. That's the only reason that we exist, period. Period. That's the only reason that we exist is to give God glory, right? And so for us, it'd be pertinent to, to ask ourselves, well, what does it mean for us to give God glory? How, how do we do this? How do we live this out? And, and more, maybe more importantly, what is glory? How do we give them something that we don't even comprehend or understand? You know, we're really, really good in the church uh, of adopting the, the spiritual lingo and never really considering what it means, right? Maybe we can even use it in a sentence here and there, but we've never really considered what it means. Like I'm, so there's this dude named Eric Phillips. How many of y'all know Eric Phillips? So I've probably spent more time with, I would argue probably spent more time with Eric than anybody else in this room. I love that dude, he's like my brother. Uh, but, but one of the things that Eric says all the time is glory, right? <laughs> like you, you set a, a, a plate of food in front of him and he just says glory. It's like, what? And so again, this is a word I hear a lot. I'm like, well, okay, like glory means food, like good food. That's like good and hearty for you. No, that's not what it means, right? And so glory is an interesting word. Uh, whenever uh, you start looking into it, we see that it means honor. And uh, we see that it means reverence. Uh, we see that, that in certain cases, it means manifestation, right? When the glory of God fills the temple. Um, but it's interesting when you look at its etymology, like the, the root of that word, it means weight. Like what? Weight. Give God weight, give God my, my weight. That doesn't make sense. Yes, it's a difficult thing to, to wrap your head around, maybe. Uh, but whenever we give a, a weighty word, it's an important word, right? It, it's something that, that's of value, that's important. Uh, luckily, I, so I work in fine jewelry, y'all. And so weight becomes very, very important in my line of work, right? So the difference between, you know, uh, a hollow gold chain and a solid gold chain is a big difference in my line of work. We, we work in luxuries. And so, you know, that feeling, you could feel the extra dollar bills on your neck, <laughs> right? That, that weight, it feels good, right? I, I, so I'm a, a watch nerd. And so the, the king of watches is Rolex, right? That's why they're the crown, because they're, they're the best. And so Rolex, they've got five, five different metal options you can choose from. So they got gold, they've got rose gold, they got white, they got three types of gold, y'all. Uh, they got steel and they got platinum. And what's interesting about these five options is that steel is it's a white metal, right? Guess what color white gold is? It's not a trick. Yeah, it's white, it's white. And then guess what color platinum is? It's white. And so to, to the uneducated, you know, just passerbyer, if you're wearing a steel watch or a white gold watch or a platinum watch, the average person couldn't tell the difference, right? But the consumer, they can feel the difference and they can feel it because gold is heavier than steel. And guess what y'all, platinum is heavier than gold. And so they can feel those dollar, dollar bills, they can feel that value and it feels good, right? They want that, they want that, that weight because it's value. And so whenever we're saying that, that, that glory means weight, 
It's the, the value attributed to God, right? It's the value attributed to God. And so there's this principle with Bible study where the first mention of the word often defines how it's going to be used throughout scripture, right? And so it's interesting whenever you look up this word uh, glory, uh, the first mention is in Genesis chapter 31. Genesis chapter 31, verse 1. And we find the word glory in the Bible uh, in the context of Jacob and Laban. You know who Laban is? Yeah, you guys know who Jacob is? Those are some crazy dudes just trying to get over on one another, right? And, and so it's interesting. So Laban's son is the first person in our Bible to use this word glory. And, and he's talking about it in the context of really kind of dogging on Jacob. And, and he says that, that Jacob took all that was his father's. He says, man, Jacob, he, he took everything that my dad had, right? And he says, of that which was our father's, hath he gotten all his glory? Of that which was our father's, hath he gotten all his glory? And when you go back a chapter to see what he got from his father, you see that he increased exceedingly and had much cattle, maidservants, men servants, camels, asses. So, so, so Jacob's glory was in those things that he had, had acquired, right? Uh, they, they summed up his value. So, so his glory was his net worth. These are the things that, 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 that he had that summed up his value. And so, man, glory, we can define it that way, is value given to God, right? And so then the, the, the next question is, well, do I just write God a check for everything that I possess? Is that how I give him glory? Is by giving him my whole bank account? Well, no, the answer is no. He's called you to steward those things, right? To steward those things for his glory. Uh, so then the, the question is, well, how do we give glory to God? That can sound like, again, we can throw around that idea of giving glory to God, and it can sound very ambiguous and undefined when we say it. Like, man, I got to give God glory. It's like, yeah, amen, brother. What does that mean? I don't know, right? Like, for, for real, we, this is how we talk. And so how do we give glory to God? Well, the Bible tells you how to give glory to God. Uh, in First Chronicles 16, verse 29, it says, give unto the Lord the glory do his name. Give unto the Lord the, the glory do his name. Colon. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Bring an offering, come before him, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And so we give glory unto his name by bringing offerings in worship to him. By bringing offerings in worship to him right? But by giving sacrifices to the Lord because it's due him. But the problem is that we saw in Malachi chapter one is that the priesthood, what are they doing with their offerings? Instead of giving him their best, they're robbing him by giving him their leftovers. They've got it all, they've got it all screwed up, right? They don't know what it means to, to, to bring their offerings before the Lord. And what I love about this is it says, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And again, when, when you look at his name, I mean, the, the most common attribute, the most common adjective associated with God uh, is that, that the idea that he's holy, right? Right? That, that, that he's holy. 
And so we are to be holy as well. Um, but the quality of their sacrifice is poor. Uh, and, you know, he told them that he'd rather them sacrifice nothing at all than what they had sacrificed. And so for us, what we can learn from this is that we give God glory in our offerings and in our worship, in our offerings and our worship. It's so, so important. And, and what does that look like? Well, it looks like the whole of our lives. Like that's what worship is. You know, we can go back and see the first example of Abraham worshiping by, by, by laying down everything before the Lord and saying, your will, not mine. Even when I don't understand it, Lord, I am serving you with my life, right? Even when it goes against my will, my desires. In Psalm 105, verse 3, uh, we, we get some more insights about what it means to give God glory. It says, glory ye in his holy name, let the heart of them rejoice that, that seek the Lord. And so we see that those who seek after the Lord, uh, glory in his name. You know, those who seek after God, those are the ones that, that give his name glory. Uh, because our pursuits show what we value, right? Some of y'all know this, like, man, the things that we're pursuing, those are the things that are very, very important and valuable to us. Uh, so again, I work in luxury jewelry and y'all, there's nothing convenient about getting gold out of the ground. There's nothing convenient about mining the earth for precious gemstones and diamonds. Uh, it's labor intensive, it takes work, it takes pursuing, it takes seeking after these things, right? Uh, but, but people do it because there's value there. And our Bible, if you go to Psalm 19, it tells you about the word of God and how it's more precious than gold, yea, than much fine gold. And so the word of God is how we seek the face of the Lord, right? That's how we find him. And whenever we labor in that, we're doing it, we're mining it because it's valuable, because it's worth it, right? That's how we, we give value to something. Uh, man, I think about uh, I'm the worst at losing things. Actually, Lisa's probably the worst at losing things. I'm probably right behind her though, right? Uh, but man, whenever we lose keys, oh, whew, that's a bad day in the Cheeto house. But then we're turning over everything, trying to find it because that's a valuable asset, asset to us, right? Man, man we, we need that. We attribute worth, value to those things. And so we search after the things that are valuable to us, right? And we could use so many other examples, you know? Pirates don't go hunting for treasure for nothing. Like it, there's value there. There's value in treasure, right? And so we give God glory in our pursuit of him. That's how, how we give him glory. And our pursuit attributes value to him. Our sacrifices to him attribute value to him, right? In Revelation chapter four, uh, we get yet yeah, some, some more insights about what it means, what it looks like. Uh, to give glory to God. This is a crazy passage, y'all. So in this passage, we see four beasts. And these beasts are like, wild. they got six wings. It says that they're covered in eyes, right? Uh, but what's really, really beautiful is what they're doing. It says that they rest not day and night. And they're constantly circling around the throne room of God, seeing holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Oh, man. And the very next verse says that they're giving honor and glory and praise to 
to the Lord. Honor and glory and praise. And so for, for them, what we learn about giving glory to God is by testifying of who he is. Testifying of who he is. Psalm 19, we see it again, right? Uh, that the heavens declare the glory of God, that the firmament showeth his handiwork, right? And, and what's crazy, y'all, is that all of God's creation gets this, except for us, right? Yeah. Literally, his physical, worldly creation, it says that, that it rests not day or night, right? That it, from the, the firmaments to the heavens, it's declaring the glory of God. Spiritual creation rests not day or night, just constantly surrounding his throne room saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which is, which was and is, and is to come, right? And yet, he's just saying, hey, y'all, like, why, why won't you just give glory to me by testifying of who I am? That's what he desires of us, is that we testify of who he is. That's how we show, that's how we give glory to God, right? The rest of his creation gets it, and we struggle so much with it. Yeah, so we give God glory in our witness of him. We give God glory in our witness of him. That's how we attribute value to him. And we can't help but talk about the things that, that are valuable to us, right? Like, I can't help but talk about, about Lisa, right? Because she's valuable to me. Uh, I talk about the things that, that I'm knowledgeable, that, that I care about, that I'm invested in. So, man, I can't help but talk about the word of God because this book transformed my life. I can't help but testify of a creator because, man, he gave me life, right? And so we talk about the things, we declare, we give testimony of the things that we value. And so we give glory to God by being witnesses of him, by being witnesses of him. And God desires glory out of our lives because it's due to him, because in him and to him and through him, all things exist. And uh, yet so many of us, uh, including myself, rob God of glory, even though it's the only reason that we exist. It's crazy. Uh, we look for the blessings. We look for his miraculous work in our lives. And then we, we, we never attribute that value back to him, right? Uh, and so our, our reasonable response ought to be to seek him. Uh, our reasonable response ought to be to worship him and to go tell others about him. And so uh, I figure we can look at a New Testament example that was really insightful to me. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, and we're going to see uh, a really incredible story. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19, it says, And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, they passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. How many of you are familiar with this story? Now, this one gets me in the feels. This is a good story, right? It says that they lifted up their voice and said, Jesus... Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. 
some of y'all aren't catching this. These guys are lepers. Lepers, they were the marginalized of society, right? They, they had an incurable or uncurable disease. Yes, uh, that was going to be the, the death of them, right? And, and Jesus simply told them to go show themselves to the priests. And when they came, they were cleansed. This is life transforming, right? This is life. This is a big deal. And it says, in one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice, glorified God. You catch that glorified God. He gave glory to God. And what did he do? He fell down on his face and feet and at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not 10 cleansed? But where are the nine? They are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And, and so often, so often we are the nine that fail to give glory to God, right? That fail to give glory to God that's due his name. <clears throat> right? And, and what's so beautiful about this, this man, what's so beautiful uh, about him is the first thing that he does after he's cleansed is he goes to seek the Lord, right? And, and then to offer him sacrifice. He prostrate on the ground, giving worship to, to Jesus, the Lord, because it's due his name, right? And I guarantee you, he couldn't help but share that news to give witness, to give testimony of God. It's awesome. And so we ought to be like the Samaritan, glorifying God, because it's due his name, because it's due his name, because he did an incredible work in our lives. And if that's not good enough, then, then God adds some extra incentive, right? By promising to curse their blessings if they don't. It's like, hey, this should be really simple. Like, I, I'm God, I created everything. Glory is due my name, right? But because you fail to do that, I'm going to give you some extra incentive. If you don't do that, then I'm going to curse your blessings, curse your blessings. And so what does that mean? What does it mean for God to curse their blessings? It's like a hard uh, phrase to make sense of, right? Uh, well, a couple of thoughts. In Deuteronomy 10, we can see that part of the, the job of the priesthood is to bless God's people, right? That's what they're instructed to do. You can see that in Deuteronomy 10, verse 8. They're there to, to give blessings to God's people. And just like God turns Balaam's curses into blessings, he could also turn the blessings of the priests into to curses, right? Uh, or maybe he means by this that they could uh, use these things that people counted as blessings and, and turn them into curses. I think about lottery winners. Man, you think that, man, oh man, I want the lottery. God's good. He loves me. And then their lives are ruined just like that, right? These blessings become curses. Um, but, but what does it mean for, for God? to curse their blessings. Uh, one thing that we see in Deuteronomy 30 is God tells them that he set before them this day life and good, death and evil, and they get to choose, right? And, and there's consequences, right? There, there's a cause and effect correlation to how we respond to the things that God puts in front of us. In this particular circumstance, Israel chooses cursing, right? And when we fail to learn by principle, then we have to learn by penalty. When we fail to learn by principle, we have to learn by penalty. And in choosing evil, the nation of 
Israel is choosing the curse. He says, behold, I will corrupt your seed and spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of the psalm feasts. And one shall take you away with it. And one shall take you away with it. So what does it mean for, for God to, to curse their blessings? Here we see it's tied to two things. We see it's tied to, to corrupting their seed and spreading dung in their face. This is an exciting passage to dig into, right? Um, and so what, what's seed in the Bible? What, what is that representative of? We've got some Bible students in here. The, the word of God, okay. Children and offspring, right? We see that from the beginning of Genesis, right? Genesis chapter three. Um, and even in kind of creation that uh, he put the, the, the seed and the herb to, to bring forth herb yielding seed. Yeah. So yeah, so to, of that, but also what is it? It's, it's literally seed, right? And so we see constantly over and over again, him, him cursing nations by affecting the, their crop intake and things like that. Um, but uh, it's particularly interesting when you look at this correlation between uh, your offspring, which is your, your, it's your, it's your heritage, right? Like that, that's, man, yeah, it's your heritage um, uh, in, in their name. In Proverbs 22, verse one, it says that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold, right? So there's something important about your name and your heritage, your seed is really how your name gets passed on, right? Uh, in Isaiah 66, verse 22, it says, for as the, the new heaven and the new earth, which I will make uh, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed in your name remain. And we see this again in Isaiah 65, this correlation between seed and the name. And really what, what, what's interesting here is that in failing to give glory that's due God's name, he's going to corrupt your name. He's going to corrupt your name, your seed, your heritage. That is your name. And that's very, very important. Some of us come, man, some of us come from the United States and and our culture doesn't care about dragging a name through the ground. Some of us come from other parts of the world where your name is very, very important. Your family name is very, very important to protect its honor, right? And the idea of being disgraced to that name, that's terrifying, right? It's terrifying. And so, so God uses this as a very, very keen example uh, to, to Israel. Hey, Glorify my name or your seed will be corrupted. Your name will be dragged through the dirt. It's a wake-up call. And then lastly, God talks about taking their dung and spreading it on their faces. And I know you guys have tuned in this whole time just to hear about this last part, right? Like, man, what's he going to say about dung? I'm very curious. Uh, well, the Bible has a lot to say about dung, actually. Um, it's an incredible visual, right? Like, okay, I get the, the severity of this, God. This is, you, you, you mean business, right? Uh, when you talk about the glory that's due your name. Uh, in, in Exodus 29, it's the first mention of the word dung. And it's really, really interesting the context in which it's mentioned. Uh, it's mentioned in the context of a sin offering. The context of a sin offering. And he's saying, hey, whenever you give the sin offering, make sure that you separate the dung 
from the rest of the offering and burn it outside of the city and burn it outside of the city. Right? Take the good meat and you're going to use that for the sin offering. Uh, but the dung, the, the bad parts at the day of atonement, I want you to separate that. I want you to separate that from the offering, right? Uh, this is a beautiful picture. He, he's separating the bad stuff, the dung, from the good meat, right? Uh, and Philippians 3, uh, this hopefully will we'll tie this together. Uh, but this is a very, very beautiful picture. In Philippians 3, verse 8, Paul is boasting about who he is in the flesh, right? Uh, in verse 4, it says, Though I might ha- also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he uh, hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I am more. So he's saying, hey, if anybody was a baller in the flesh, it was me. Like, if anybody could trust their flesh, it was me. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. And I was a Jew of Drew, right? Uh, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, touching the law, a Pharisee, this dude's big ballin, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness of the law, blameless, right? But he, man, this is, this is good. Verse seven says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, right? For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them. I count all things. I count my, my, my old life, my old identity. Those things I count but dung that I might win Christ, that I might win Christ, right? So do we consider our old man, these old things, our old identities, man, at the point of our salvation, at the point uh, of that atonement for our sin, when we dealt with that, God said, hey, separate that and get it outside of the city, right? Get get it away, right? Uh, In Isaiah 65, it says, uh, that we're our righteousness. It's all as unclean things, right? And all our righteousness is as filthy rags. It continues this picture of this filth uh, that's within us. And, and we're supposed to separate this from ourselves. And the Lord is saying that, hey, in failing to give glory to my name, you're picking it up and you're bringing it in and it shows all over your face. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. Those things that you're supposed to separate yourselves from, and they're all over you. And it's filthy and it's disgusting, right? It's filthy and it's disgusting. But in choosing life and good, by loving the Lord and walking in his ways and keeping his commandments and statutes and judgments, the result is life and the result is peace which is what God has called us to as priests and as messengers. Uh, And we don't have the time to dig into it. Uh, Man, the the next part is gold. Uh, But we get to see uh, a complete contrast to this in studying the priest of Levi and how they lived and the blessing that was bestowed upon them. Uh, But we're going to stop here. uh, And I think that there's a lot to consider. Man, did you know that you, all of us, are here to bring glory and honor and praise to God. And he expects it. And he expects it, right? And so I love you guys. I'm going to pray for you. And then I don't know what's next on the agenda. Okay. Lord, uh, we, we thank you so much 
uh, man, for, for your goodness, uh, I think about the beginning of Malachi and how you've loved us uh, and how your grace is bestowed on, on every single person that's here today. Uh, Lord, how from uh, the very beginning, if anybody's here, man, uh, clearly uh, you're tugging on their heart and you love them and you're calling them into relationship with you. And so often uh, we take those things for granted and we blaspheme your name and we don't give it the, the glory that it's due. And so, Lord, I pray that we could soberly consider our lives, Lord, uh, that we would be ones to bring you glory, like your creation, uh, like your spiritual creation, Lord, that the whole of our lives would fall out to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.